Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's quite the crowd. Oh, hi. Up the back there. It's like you've got to get early to get seats up here these days. Listen, if you are with us today uh, for the first time, or whether you're here just as part of the ongoing journey together as Coast Vineyard, we're kicking off a new series today. And many of you will remember that at the end of last year, we gave you the opportunity to send in some questions to us that you would want us to kind of craft some messages around, around life and faith. What sorts of questions are things that we're grappling with or that are important to you or to people that you know and love? And so this series is our attempts to, to do exactly that. So the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring a whole, like quite a range of things. Uh, and today, we're looking at the whole thing of having a thriving spirituality in a digital age. And you may be wondering, well, why on earth did they give it to Jacinda then? I heard that, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I know. You'll probably know everything I'm about to say. Uh, because I'm not known for my tech savvy. But, uh, but I, like you, am trying to figure out life with these things. Yeah? It's a new thing. Like 2007, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Craig. 2007 is the year that the world changed forever. It was the year that Steve Jobs introduced us to this a smartphone, iPhones. And it was the year that uh, Facebook had started a couple years earlier, Google had started a couple years earlier, but suddenly we took all of this infinite information and the ability to connect with people all around the world 24-7 and put it in our phones and on our person. And that changed everything forever. And here we are, 13 years later, trying to figure out some of the ripple effects that have kind of been flowing out from that, some of which are unexpected, and that we're now trying to understand. And, and we're trying to figure that out in terms of what's the knock-on effect? What's the, the ripple effect in terms of my own spirituality, my own journey with God? And for some of us, we may never have actually stopped to consider that it has an effect on our spirituality. And so today's a day where we get to actually take a little bit of time and explore that and consider some things, and that maybe starts a conversation that we have with God about this. So as I said, I'm not an expert. I know that some of you, many of you probably in the room, will know all of what I'm going to talk about and, uh, and more, but, uh, but I really am trying to, trying to wrap my head around and kind of master my relationship with my devices. And we've tried in the last, you know, 13 years to try to parent our kids in, in that whole era as well, and to varying degrees of success and failure, because it keeps changing, you know, and the thing is, is there's no one that actually can tell us what to do, because no one has been here before, we're in uncharted and new territory, and please don't think that I am saying it's, we're banning the lot, like they're evil, we shouldn't have anything to do, are you kidding, I have a daughter who lives in London, I'm on this thing all the time, FaceTiming, chatting to her while she's cooking dinner and I'm having breakfast. I love that. I love the fact that you can drop me in any city, any country in the world, and I'm not going to get lost anymore because I have Google Maps. Saves people like me. And who would have thought that I could have gotten through the day without checking my weather app as many times as I need to? So please don't hear that I'm going, this is a terrible thing. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. The reality is it's not going away. The internet is not going anywhere. All our devices aren't going anywhere. We want to be able to just steward them well. 
So today, I can't tell you the verse in the Bible that tells you how to engage with social media. (laughs) However, the Bible has a lot to say about where we spend and focus our attention and what that means for us in our spiritual formation. And that's what something we consider. The other thing is we have this example of Jesus to be able to look at. He modeled for us. No, he did not have a smartphone. However, he modeled for us what a full life, like his schedule was busy, guys. Like he had people coming at him all the time. He modeled for us what life, a full and rich life, lived in intimate relationship with God looks like. To be fully human. And so we can take our lived experience and we have a comparison to make to be able to see, are we living into that life that he said he came to give us? And so that's what we want to explore a little bit today. Neil Postman, who wrote a book in 1993 called Technopoly, technology must never be accepted as part of the natural order of things. Every technology, from an IQ test to an automobile to a television set to a computer, is a product of a particular economic and political context and carries with it a program, an agenda, and a philosophy that may or may not be life-enhancing, and that therefore requires scrutiny, criticism, and control. He wrote that in 1993. That's just as pertinent for us today, isn't it? to explore, is this enhancing my life? And to give it a little bit of critique and healthy criticism. Now, are you willing to have a little experiment with me this morning? Take out your phones. That will probably be the majority of us in the room, if not all of us. And now you're sitting there going, oh no, what is she going to make us do? We're not passing the baskets. It's like, drop it in, pick something up when you leave. I've always wanted that new iPhone 11 with the camera. No, we're not doing that. What I'm going to ask you to do is an experiment. Would you be willing to turn it off? I know, fully off. Fully off. They're right there. They'll come get you. Great. Fully off and then put it down away from your person. So not on your body. Are you freaking out yet? And for those of you who have two phones, that's both of them. And I know who you are. It's not just one. Okay, it's all right. We'll come back. And if you're thinking, oh, no, I can't take photos of the things I want off the screen, there'll be some resources list right at the end so you can do that. Okay, deep breath. Relax. Here's our present reality. 95% of Kiwis use the internet every day, and 91% of them use it for personal reasons. 81% of New Zealanders have a smartphone. We love these, because that's slightly larger than the global average of 71%. The average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day, and is on their phone approximately two and a half hours over 76 sessions a day. If you are an iGen or millennial, it is probably double that. The majority of Kiwis have five or more devices. This includes electronics like computers, wearables, TVs, streaming devices, e-readers, and more. 
75% of Kiwis use another device, typically a smartphone, while they're watching TV because we're not entertained enough. <clears throat> the number one thing that we use our smartphones for in New Zealand is to search for things. We're quite curious. <clears throat> uh, followed by social media and video consumption. iGen, the generation born between 1995 and 2012, these are the members, this generation are the ones who don't remember a time before the internet. And before smartphones, they have an Instagram account before they hit high school, and they don't remember, they have no reference points for life before smartphones and the internet. So for those of us who are older, we have the gift of having reference points of what life can be like outside of living our with our devices all the time. Our younger ones don't have that. Worth us keeping in mind. Social media, here we go. There are billions of users worldwide, and more than 300 hours of video content is uploaded to YouTube alone every minute. Yeah, how much did you want to watch? And 70 million photos are uploaded to Instagram every single day. Social media in New Zealand is dominated by YouTube and Facebook, with 74 and 73% of the population claiming to use each platform, respectively. Instagram users are about half that at 35%, but that is expected to increase because it's predominantly our younger ones that are engaging there. According to 2018 research, 3.5 million Kiwis are active social media users, and they spend an average of an hour and 53 on social media networks each day, more if you are younger. The average daily TV viewing time is currently two hours and 48 minutes per day. We really, really like our screens, don't we? What is the population of New Zealand? Four? Five. Okay, five. And three and a half million of us use our social media stuff every day. Did I get those numbers mostly right, Craig? Yep, good. He works in the industry. I should have just rung him. So we're giving a lot of our time and attention to these things, yeah? And if you're anything like me, I have no idea how much time I actually spend on those things until someone sent in a question that I then had to go and research some stuff for, and suddenly I started wondering, how much time do I spend on my phone? How much time am I on social media? Or, you know, those YouTube rabbit holes <laughs> where you start looking for a thing and then you watch a thing and then there's all the suggestions down the side. Did you know 70% of what we watch on YouTube is from those? And they're targeted at us to specifically hold our attention. And you sit there and you go, where did the last two hours go? Or am I the only one? <laughs> but on the back of this, I, it's like you can't unsee what you've seen. You know, and so it's been really personally challenging to pay attention to my own phone use in the course of getting ready for this message. Is it life-enhancing? And to be fair, I'm actually a little unsettled by what I've discovered about myself. And I suspect many of us are. Because there's these, it's this kind of slippery slope, eh? Like probably none of us ever sat down one day and thought, I want to spend the next five years of spending five hours every day on my device. None of us made that decision, but we're living it, and that has consequences for us. Sean uh, Parker, who was the founding president of Facebook in a 2017 interview, said this. <laughs> this is not encouraging. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. 
The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on your photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because we're exploiting or you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. We have been brain hacked. Did you even know that was a word? I learnt that. You knew. I learnt that. Our phones and our apps are specifically designed to target vulnerabilities in our neuroscience so that we are becoming increasingly consumed and addicted by our devices. That's why it's so hard for us to put these things down. They're designed to capture our attention, and they are so successful that recent research would say that the majority of us are at very best exhibiting compulsive behavior towards our iPhones or our smartphones, and at worst, we're addicted, and we didn't even know it, and it's epidemic. There is loads of stuff online. If you are interested in, like, kind of pulling all of this apart, I can send you to a few different places that you can look at different interviews from uh, insiders of Silicon Valley and all sorts of stuff. And there's all sorts of research that would look at some of the effects on our mental health, so, you know, social well-being, all that kind of thing. We don't have time to go there in its fullness today, obviously. But we just want to touch on a few things and particularly look at what that means for us in terms of our spiritual journey. For social media, just a couple things for that. Basically, I think who we are already on the inside has been given a megaphone. Social media acts a little bit like a mirror sometimes. It's like, it, to some degree, it reflects back to us who we are and the way we see the world. It reinforces our likes, our dislikes, our worldview, our fears, our biases, our preferences, our prejudices, our desires. It tells us more of the news we like to hear. So my, my Facebook feed, my Instagram feed is not going to be the same as Shirley's. It's not going to be the same as yours. They target us individually and send stuff to us. So like you young ones, your feeds are going to look completely different from mine. I suspect that you are not going to have ads pop up on your Facebook feed telling you about how middle-aged women can lose weight. Mine does, shockingly. But they, you know, like it's targeted at us. And so that's fine if like you're 50 and you're relatively secure in your worldview and who you are and all of that sort of stuff. If you're 14, not so much. It's not so helpful. The other thing that all of us need to be aware, aware about is that in that feedback loop that it creates, is it can narrow our perspective. That we think that our way of seeing the world and our way of like interacting with it is the only way. But it's not. It's just they, they hone it all in so that that. So we all need to be aware of those kinds of things that are happening for us in there. The other thing, actually, Matt was saying, I was telling him about some of this. I rushed down to his office today. I was like, would you believe this is what happens? But he's like, no, it's so true. He says, my Instagram feed is full of these ads. I want to buy everything that comes up. They have totally got me figured out. Praise the Lord, he doesn't. You know, but, but if we had a shopping addiction, we would. 
and get ourselves into a whole other layer of trouble, but like they totally have got us down. The other thing that social media can act like is, is like a projector, where we project our ideal selves and our desired reality out into the world for them to comment and like. It's our highlight reel. And here's the crazy thing. Even though all of us know it's the highlight reel, we still get sucked in. Because what it breeds in us that we need to guard our hearts against is FOMO. Fear of missing out, that's a real thing, right? For our young ones, that's massive. How do you feel if you see on your feed all these pictures coming from a party that you weren't invited to and you're at home? The stress and the anxiety that that creates is real. Just because it's different for us doesn't diminish it for them. So FOMO is a thing we want to watch out for. The other thing is is that it breeds discontent in us for what we have now. Even though we know that everyone is curating the heck out of their feeds, which I have to say is ironic, isn't it? Because we live in in an age in our culture that is all about authenticity and keeping it real, you know. And then we're like, we have this highly curated public face. We were just with um, a bunch of pastors this last week, and we were talking, recognizing that we all follow each other on our personal and our church um, social media platforms. Because we're all, you know, we're interested in each other's lives, we're trying to cheer each other on, you know, that sort of thing. However... What we have to be careful of, we want to guard our hearts against, is this thing of comparison and competition. And the only thing that that takes us to is separation and distance from one another. All of us need to be aware of that. We don't, we don't want to be those people. It doesn't do us any good, and it actually keeps us apart from one another. So you know, with social media, be aware of those couple of things and help your kids navigate that. Help our young people with that. A thought on content, and this is applicable for all of us, is uh, let's just have a look at Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We need to make conscious choices about what we fill our minds with. And this isn't just our young ones that are at risk of this. All of us are. All of us are. We're formed by what we pay attention to. We are formed by the stuff we fill ourselves up with. Because what we fill our minds with is going to shape the trajectory of our character. And then that is reflected in all our social media posts. You know, it's like the good, good news is, is that that can change, right? We're formed as we continue to follow Jesus, as the work of the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. He changes us. He forms us. He puts a longing in us for these kinds of things. We start to cultivate an appetite for what is good, for what is right. So it can change, but let's, let's, we have to pursue this. We need to be selective about our content and inspire our kids to do the same thing. In terms of our young people, let's recognize that for them, they are digital pioneers. They're finding a new path in otherwise uncharted territory. 
I remember when Kate, our youngest daughter, was going into year nine and she had to get her own device at school, which I think is even earlier now, right? So she was 13, the ripe age of 13. You know, how much self-discipline and self-awareness do you have at 13 in terms of monitoring your behavior with your device? And we were running into some challenges, you know, and school was as well. And, uh, and I remember talking to our older girls who are five and seven years older than her, and we were like, how, do you, how did you guys work this out? Like, how, do, how did you, like, stop yourself from going? And they're like, we don't know. We didn't have it at 13. They never had to figure that out that young. And now we're expecting it of our 11-year-olds and 10-year-olds. This is a tough gig. So as parents, as educators, as a community of faith, we want to come around them. We want to educate ourselves. We want to upskill ourselves. And we want to help our young people to thrive in the era that they happen to be born into. We want to be supportive of them and the unique pressures that that they are actually contending with that we did not have in our lives at that age. I read an article by uh, psychologist Jean Twenge. She says this, the twin rise of the smartphone and social media has caused an earthquake of a magnitude that we've not seen in a very long time, if ever. There is compelling evidence that the devices we've placed in young people's hands are having profound effects on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. We have a responsibility collectively, not just individual families, all of us, to do what we can to help them. A book, which will be noted at the end, that may be helpful, is one by, I haven't read it because I uh, am kind of beyond navigating this, but I've had it recommended by Andy Crouch. It's called The TechWise Family. Is could be a helpful thing to work through as a family in terms of understanding, managing our devices and technology. But an important thing for all of us, I think, is that we want to model good relationships with our devices. Because so much is caught, not taught, right? So if our kids are seeing us on our devices all the time, that's going to be normal. All right, two things that are antithetical to thriving spirituality that are a ripple effect of our involvement with our phones is distraction. We, in the um, words of Brian Zand, who's a pastor and an author, he said, we carry a weapon of mass distraction in our pockets every day. How many times have you been sitting at your computer, one device, working on a report at work, writing an assignment for university or for school, and then, you know, you've got your phone sort of just sitting over here face down, and it beeps or vibrates or buzzes or pings, whichever setting we happen to have, and you're kind of, you're doing your thing, you're doing your thing, and you're like, ah. Just check it. Swipe, swipe. Whoosh, done. Okay, pop it back down. Start again. Except I can't quite remember where I was up to, so I just need to go back and revise that again. Oh, here we are. Right. Or I was reading a book. Same thing. It's like, what paragraph? What was that again? I better read that again. We are constantly distracted by these things. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of research that blew my mind about like the challenges that is actually um, creating in terms of how our brains think. I won't go into that now, but... Wow. Um, But let's be aware that every time that that happens, our brain is hardwired to love new information. So there's the potential of something new all the time on here. And so that's why it's so hard to ignore that thing. Because your brain 
oh, there's something new and exciting over there. I've got to look. And then when we pick it up and we see it, we get that dopamine hit. Dopamine, amongst other things, it makes us feel good. So it's it's a thing our brain releases, and so we get addicted to that. Tristan Harris, who is an ex-Google developer, he's, he's been described as the closest thing that Silicon Valley has to a conscience. Interesting, he's a really interesting guy. But he says that our brains uh, interact with phones as though they're slot machines. The thing to know about slot machines are that they are the most addictive form of gambling that there is. And uh, so designers, when they have designed our phones and our apps, have deliberately designed them to function the way that a slot machine does. You know, that whole thing of, you know, you pull the lever or you push the button and you wait, ding, 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 bing, bing, bing. You know, there's the possibility of a reward. And apparently, the more random the chance of the reward, the more our brains like it. So we are getting hooked on this whole thing of like, you know, there might be a reward. Every time I pick up my phone, that's why we pick up our phones so many times in a day. Even when there's nothing there, we still do it because we get the dopamine hit every time. It's another example of brain hacking. Speaking of distraction, how are you doing? Anyone feeling twitchy? Some of you might. Some of you might be having a hard time actually even concentrating what I'm saying. If that's the case, feel free to pick it up. There's no judgment. Because research would tell us that that is a reality for us now. Larry Rosen, who is a psychologist doing research on tech and anxiety, he says when we put down our phones, it causes our brain to release cortisol, which triggers our fight or flight response in our bodies, which used to save us from lions and stuff, now gets really stressed if we don't know what's going on in our phone. So our body lives in this state of constant anxiety. And um, there's a 60 Minutes interview that I can send you the link to if you want. I, can, I might throw it onto the community page and then people can have a look at it if you like. But what that results in is us needing to check our phones. The average uh, smartphone user checks their phone every 15 minutes or less, even if you haven't had an alert because of the anxiety that we're carrying in our bodies the whole time. If it pings, our anxiety spikes. The only way to get rid of it is to pick it up, look at it again, get the dopamine hit. (sighs) I'm good for the next 10 minutes. That has some real effects for us in terms of our spirituality, this whole thing of distraction. Father Ronald Rollheiser says, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. That's a real and present challenge for each one of us with our spiritual journey. If we don't want to just have these superficial, shallow relationships with God and have developed real intimacy with him, we're going to have to have intent. And we also need to recognize that this is going to interfere. How many of us have found it difficult to pick up our Bible and read it or to stay concentrated on it? 
for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. We're so used to being distracted now, we are almost craving it, even when we have the option not to be. I know for me, this is something I'm having to intentionally train myself in, is to be able to just sit. Being distracted, that, you know, like we're losing that art of like quiet, reflective practices where we sit and we ponder and we think and we're just with our own thoughts and with God. And yet these are such vital practices for our well-being. We need to train ourselves. In Joshua, a book in the Old Testament, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Meditation's hard. That's like focused attention, focused concentration. You know, in 2012, our attention spans, uh, there's research that was done in America, so it's probably actually just relevant for Americans. No, it wasn't. It's all of us. It's all of us, Mitch. Um, They found that we had an attention span of 12 seconds. It's not lots. So that's why time with God has always been challenging, right? Like we've always had to make an intentional pursuit of that and cultivating those practices. Well, recent research has said that it has now dropped to eight seconds. Just by point of comparison, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. We are losing to the goldfish. But that's, that's important for us to realize. We are losing the ability to be attentive and focused and concentrate. And we don't want to lose that, right? Like it's important on so many levels. But for us as people who follow Jesus, how comfortable are we with sitting quietly and thinking and meditating on a thing day and night? It's like, that's a lot. But that's how it gets in. That's how the Word of God gets in. It's how we are shaped. It's how we are formed. It's how He transforms us. Is time. It's an essential skill for us to reclaim, to take it back. Let's not lose it. John Ortberg, who's a pastor and writer, he says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will skim our lives instead of actually living them. Oh, man. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want it for my church. I want everything God has for us. So let's contend for this. So there's some things we could do. You could turn off all your notifications. So I've been doing an experiment on myself in the light of having to put all this together. I have grayscaled my screen so it's not that beautiful, colorful thing that sucks me in and gives me a dopamine hit. It helps. Grayscaled the screen. Turned off all my notifications except for phone calls if you're on my favorites list. Sorry, guys. A few of you not on there. But if I don't get back to you straight away on texts and messages, it's because I actually can't see that you've sent them. But what it meant for me in terms of prepping this, I've only done this for like three or four days because I only found out about it like three or four days ago. Um, I had way more focus and prepping. I got way more done because I didn't have the constant ping, 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 and I had to put my phone somewhere else. 
So that's something we can do. Turn off all our notifications. Keep your phone off until after your morning quiet time. Like, just turn it off overnight. One of the pastors I met this last well, met with this last week, he's a friend of ours. He's in his 30s. He's a, a, young, a dad with young kids. And he said he has had to train himself to charge his phone overnight in another room he, and off. And he wakes up in the morning now, because it used to be beside his bed, so it was the first thing he would pick up. So now what he does, he has trained himself to say good morning to his wife, give her a kiss, get up, go see their kids, spend time with them, have breakfast, have a quiet time, turn his phone on. He's trained himself. We actually have to choose this stuff. We can set a limit for social media, a time limit. We can do, choose to just work with a single screen, you know, one task at a time. No, no more double screening it with the TV. No phones at the dinner table. That's kind of been a rule for us for a long time. We don't like how someone else could interrupt our time as a family just because they happen to call right then. No phones at the dinner table or in your meeting. Okay, so distraction's one thing we're fighting against. Impatience is the other. As we've become more distracted, we have also become more impatient, haven't we? Nope, just me. Okay, I think that with the uh, advances in the digital age, no, everything's sped up. And uh, many of you would have heard of a guy called Simon Sinek. He's uh, an author, he's a speaker, and he states that we are cultivating instant gratification. If I want to buy something, I don't need to go to the mall, I just jump online, I order it, it arrives in the mail tomorrow. If I want to watch a movie, I'm not going to like work around the times at the movie theatre, drive to the mall, wait in the queue, buy the tickets. I'm not going to do that, I'm just going to stream it online at home. If I want to watch a new TV series, I'm not going to spend weeks of my life scheduling in 8.30 on a Monday night to watch a 10-series program. Well, some of us still might do that, but many don't. No, we'll wait until it's out on Netflix, and then we'll binge watch the whole thing in one session. Want a date? Swipe right. Don't, you don't need to take the time to get to know an actual person. Fast is not a mode that Jesus modeled for us. And it's counterproductive to our spiritual formation. If we think about it, relationships, learning a new skill, loving someone, cultivating spiritual practices, making friends, all of these are slow. They take time. They can seem a bit boring. And they are part of being human. Walter Adams, who is C.S. Lewis's spiritual director, says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Oh, man. Isn't that appealing? I like that. Dallas Willard, who is a theologian who we have been greatly shaped by, says this, the great enemy to our spiritual life in our day is hurry. Let's have a look at this invitation that Jesus made to his disciples in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Can I just pop that up for me, guys? Let's just look at what he says. He says, come to me. He says, get away with me. I'll show you. Showing takes time because it needs all the different circumstances of life to be, to be watching. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Keep company with me. The next slide, guys. Keep company with me. 
that's slow. That's doing life at a walking pace. If we want to imitate Jesus, one of the things that might help us is to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them like a biography, like you would any other biography. You know, where we read these biographies of people who have achieved lots and done all these different things, and you look and you see, how, have they, how do they do that? Like, how have they cultivated those things in their character or their skills or whatever? How do they spend their lives and their time? And we get ideas about how we can do those things in our own lives. How many of us have read the four biographies of Jesus in the same way, where we look to see what were the rhythms of his life? What practices did he cultivate? so that he could live a full and rich life in relationship with God and still be present and available to people and the responsibilities in his life. That may help us. But recognizing that all of this takes time. Our formation takes time. We are not formed overnight. It takes practice. It takes intent and repeated choices to give him our attention. We need to choose slow, on purpose. Slow down your body, slow down your life. Some practices that might help you if you're thinking about how do I go slower with this old thing is parent your phone. What on earth does that mean? Put it on airplane mode or turn it off completely and put it to bed before you go to bed and make it sleep in until after you get up. Parent it. Don't let it consume your life. You decide. You decide. What boundaries? What time am I happy to keep watch looking at this thing at nighttime? What time am I happy for it to get up in the morning? Doesn't have to be at my side every moment of the day. Another thing you might want to try is to walk slower, like physically walk slower and not with your phone in your hand. We went to pick Josh up the other week at university, and we were a little, like, we're not quite sure we were on the right street. And then we saw, gradually, these young adults coming down the street, every single one of them. We were like, we're on the right road. (laughs) We're, we're, you know, we're making our way there. But walk without your phone, or, daringly, leave it at home sometimes. You may want to take a digital Sabbath. One day a week with your phone off completely. Obviously, work that out with your spouse and your family and, you know, all of that. But actually have a day without your phone at all and see what that's like. Have any of us done that? A few of us. Yeah, cool. Notice what it does to you. And the other thing we can do is to practice doing nothing. We do not allow ourselves to be bored anymore because we have constant entertainment and distraction at our fingertips 24-7. But boredom can be restorative. So how do we thrive in this age of digital devices and an age where we are constantly and have been trained to be distracted and impatient? Realize that without a conscious choice and an an intentional plan, our devices are going to sabotage our best efforts. The great thing is, it's not just about willpower. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of the songs we sang this morning, you know, he chases after us. He is in this with us. He wants our best. He wants us to thrive. It's just that we need to actually think to have the conversation with him about this. What does that look like for me in this season of life? 
There's a great book that if you want to do like a 30-day digital detox, there's a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. Honestly, if I'd told my grandmother we were ever going to have a book that was written like that, she would have looked at me like I was a crazy woman. How to Break Up with Your Phone. She spends the first half of the book just explaining a whole bunch of stuff to help us to realize what we're up against, and then she gives us a whole uh, list of ways that we can implement over 30 days to actually detox from this thing. And uh, I read an article written by a tech um, journalist, and he did this and with the help of the author. And then he said, this is what he said at the end of that month, for the first time in a long time, I'm starting to feel like a human again. And he's, a te- he's fully into tech. He's not a Christian guy, none of that. He just purely did it because he was uncomfortable with what his life was becoming around this. He started to feel human again. It may be that we want to develop a digital rule of life. Now, for those of us who don't like rules, the minute I said that word, you're like, oh, yuck, run away, run away. It's a plan. A rule of life is a plan. It's a way for us to choose to engage with our devices in a way where we are setting the boundaries and making conscious choices. John Mark Comer has written a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It is a vital book, I think, for us in the age that we're in in terms of our spiritual and emotional health. He says this, A rule of life is a schedule and set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. To live life to the full in his kingdom and in alignment with our deepest passions, and priorities. It's been said that we achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values, and a rule of life is simply a tool to that end. Rather than a rigid, legalistic to-do list, it's a life-giving structure for freedom, growth, and joy. You might want to have a look at his book, but there's also a website called practicingtheway.org, and there's a whole lot of suggestions there about how we can orchestrate our lives to be in line with our deepest passions and priorities and values. So let's just remind ourselves as we consider having a thriving spirituality in a digital age, that as Jesus' apprentices, we want to organize our lives around those three basic goals, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus would do if he were me. If our use of our devices and technology is hindering that in any way, then we owe it to ourselves to reconsider how we engage with them so that we can thrive in every area of our lives, including our spirituality. Good to go?